Stay tuned for Occupied Territory America with Mike Fader. This is Mike Fader here on Occupied Territory America. Uh, before we talk to our first guest today, I wanted to remind you all, as I usually do, and anybody who's new to this show, that we have a sort of a mirror image of this show on Facebook. It's a political blog, I guess you could call it, that I maintain on Facebook, but it just parallels everything that you hear on this show. So check it out. It's Occupied Territory and Facebook. And also, if you want to get in touch with me to let me know anything that's going on in your local community that I that I might consider worth announcing here or interviewing somebody, or if you want to express your opinion about anything you hear here, then go to my website, which is FaderFiles, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com, FaderFiles dot com. Now, almost all of you, or I'm sure maybe all of you, have heard about eminent domain being used for a long, long time by local governments, uh, state governments, etc., to seize property, usually in the name of quote-unquote progress, it winds up uh, somehow benefiting businesses, usually to the tune of tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. For instance, now in Texas, you see uh, you know, the, the uh, large oil pipeline companies, Keystone, uh, are, se- are seizing property there. Actually, I shouldn't say, and more specifically, the state of Texas is seizing property for these huge corporations uh, from people who are small uh, landholders, uh, people who have had ranches in their families, tiny little ranches or farms for, uh, you know, 100 years, 200 years, and they are seizing this property from people all over the country. In Texas, it's happening a lot, and people are chaining themselves uh, to machinery down there, but eminent domain, and it's happened in New York City in the 30s and 40s, they just seize property. Usually they wind up seizing property from people who don't have the power to resist, that is to say, poor people. This happens all the time, but now we have a story coming out of California where eminent domain uh, may be used or is uh, planning to be used to, to, uh, to take um, mortgages basically away from banks and uh, make them affordable for the people who live in these houses, underwater mortgages. Uh, the, the city is, uh, of Richmond, California is planning to use eminent domain to actually help people for a change, which would be a tremendous reversal uh, for, that, uh, for that phrase and what it means legally. We have a guest with us today, David Sharples. Hi, David. Yes. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, you are there. Can you hear me? Uh, now I can, yeah. Uh, David Sharples is with the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment. And um, the uh, beginning, uh, let me just read the beginning of this article, which I found from Alternate. Um, Housing justice advocates hopeful about innovative Richmond plan to use public seizure laws to save underwater homes from foreclosure. And uh, the first paragraph is, using the authority of state government to actually help people has Wall Street bankers in a panic, spurring threats of aggressive legal retaliation against the town of Richmond, California, simply for trying to help some of its struggling homeowners. So what is going on in Richmond? 
Well, so Richmond is a city that's been devastated by the foreclosure crisis. Um, you know, we've got a lot of homes that have gone into foreclosure that are vacant, that are causing blight in our neighborhoods. Um, you know, houses are boarded up. So they've got grass growing really high in their, in their front lawns. And this has a huge effect. I mean, people are pushed out of their homes. They, um, you know, the, the property... Um, values of the homes around those goes down, so the city loses out on tax revenue and, you know, has to pay more on maintenance costs, and has to pay more code, code enforcement costs, has to pay more policing. So, and, and, the banks, and the banks then seized his property entirely, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and the problem is the banks and the federal government have not, have not helped people. They've not, uh, done a lot of principal reduction, which is what we need to um, to keep families in their homes and to and to save these homes from foreclosure. So what what uh, what Richmond is looking at doing is using eminent domain to seize the mortgages, not the homes, seize the mortgages, um, condemn those mortgages and then um, to Yeah, so seize the mortgage mm-hmm. and then restructure the loan and reduce the principal. So so how does it work exactly? The city, uh, when you say seize the mortgage, um, they can't, I mean, first of all, the people who live in those houses, they own the houses, but the bank actually owns it. They're underwater. The mortgage isn't being paid, right. so the bank can take it back. So that's legally the case. How can the city of Richmond or any city in California or anywhere seize a mortgage? Well, so the argument, I mean, in order to use eminent domain, you have to say that there's a public benefit for using that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, when they built the 580, which is a big freeway out here, they took people's homes um, because there was a public benefit to having that freeway that benefits the broader society. So in this case, you know, the city is saying there's a public benefit because um, you know, if because we know that many of these underwater mortgages are going to go into foreclosure, mm-hmm. and um, and that's going to hurt the overall city because you know every time there's a foreclosure in our city, the city loses out on on twenty thousand dollars. So they lost tax revenue and increased costs. So the, so uh, what would happen? Like uh, actual, I mean, actually, step by step, the the, the city of Richmond. Uh, I understand from this article I read. First of all, they're going to ask the banks to reduce uh, the mortgage mortgage payments. Right. right. Okay. Now, well, no. First, uh, they're, uh-huh. they're offering to buy the loans, and hopefully, we wouldn't use we wouldn't have to use them in a domain. So they've made offers to buy these loans. They they're working with an outside funding partner called Mortgage Resolution Partners, which is a for-profit group of investors that's willing to put up the money. Um, and so the city would buy the loans and then restructure those loans and reduce the principal. To make it possible for the homeowner to be able to pay it and stay in the house, right? Right, exactly. So, so this company, is this company um, altruistic or they intend to make money? I mean, how, I, I've never heard of a company. They, they are for profit. They're they are trying to make money. Uh-huh. But, you know, we think it's okay for them to make some money um, as long as they're helping people, you know, save their homes from 
in foreclosure. So what would be the, what has the response been so far by banks in the So I mean the the response by you know the major response by the Wall Street banks has come from um SIFMA, which is the Securities and Investment Financial Markets Association. This is the big uh lobbying group and trade association for Wall Street banks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they have they've threatened and sort of bullied R- Richmond by saying that if you go ahead and do this, or if any city goes ahead and uses I mean a domain to do this, then we will not make loans in that city. And our response to that is if they do that then we can file we should file a lawsuit against SIFMA because um there's that's redlining and there's laws against that and there's also antitrust laws which say that banks can't get together and, and boycott a city or corporations can't come together and boycott a city. So the, the mayor of Richmond, uh, her name is Gail McLaughlin, right? And uh, yeah. she, so where is, where is it right now? I mean, what is happening at the moment? I mean, what step has been taken? So the city has made offers to buy these loans. They've formally, you know, sent letters out to the bank saying um, we would like to to buy these loans and so that we can restructure them and reduce the principal. And they've given them the banks a deadline and said um, if you if you don't agree to sell them, then we are going to use eminent domain. Hmm. And uh, do you know what the deadline is? Yeah, it actually passed like two days ago. Oh. The 13th. Alright, so now what? And, and, well, and, and rather than getting any favorable responses, um, actually I think they, they, some of them said that they were looking into it or they were going to get back to the city, mm-hmm. but actually Wells Fargo filed a lawsuit, um, trying to get an injunction against Richmond using this this program. So, so she must have been aware of the fact that they would respond uh, legally like this, and it could turn out to be an extremely expensive thing. The city of Richmond, I guess, has a city attorney who would fight these cases? Well, so the, so the outside investor group, Mortgage Resolution Partners, they have said that the city is indemnified from from lawsuits and that, and that MRP will cover all of the any legal expenses and any oh, really? losses the city might incur. Well, I mean, this is the kind of thing that uh, it would be good if it happened all over the country. Are there any other places in California or any other places that you know of uh, thinking of doing this? Yeah, they're, they're looking at it in two other cities I know of in, in California, El Monte and La Puente. And then there's other cities around the country that are looking into it. So Seattle, Newark, New Jersey, um, North Las Vegas, mm-hmm. uh, other places that are looking into it, yeah. And this is a this is something where a for profit um, uh, corporation could actually make some money. Maybe they wouldn't get as rich as a bank gets, but uh, in the end the bank isn't really getting anything out of this except a condemned house in a bad neighborhood, right? I mean what's the value? Why would they find anything like this? Well, I mean, that's, that's one of the things we're saying is that we're, I mean, the city of Richmond is offering the banks, um, you know, fair market value for, um, 
floor of the loans. I mean, I think uh, I think the banks, you know, don't. You know, they say that this is an illegal taking, so they're sort of fighting it on principle. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we we feel like it's a win win. I mean, it's a definitely a win for the homeowner. Um, you know, who's going to save their home from foreclosure? It's a win for the city because the city, uh, you know, has a very big interest in keeping families in their homes so they don't have these vacant properties. And the bank is getting fair market value for the for the mortgage. So, it's, it's, you know, we feel like it's it's a win-win. Well, obviously it is, but uh, obviously the, uh, also that the banks are doing this almost on principle. In other words, they don't like anybody telling them how to run their business for the good of the exactly. community. Right? Yeah. I mean, this is not what they're in business for to help anybody. They're in business to make money. But they're being short-sighted, I think, because they probably would make money. But, you know, because this thing's not going to turn around for a long, long time. And if a community... Uh, becomes like a ghost town, it becomes like, you know, a wasteland, then their house is worth 10 cents anyhow, the one that they seized. So it's, it's stupid for them to do this. But uh, what's new? Um, your, your group, Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, can you tell me more about the group? Yeah, so it's a community organization. It's people coming together to, um, to push for improvements like this. So, you know, many of our, of our members, are themselves underwater homeowners um, and are fighting for um, principal reduction and affordable loan modifications. Mm-hmm. So um, it's people coming together to get power and numbers, um, you know, to, to fight to save their their homes. And and one thing that people can do if they want to, if they're interested in getting involved, there actually is a. They can go to the Home Defenders League dot org mm-hmm. um, website, and so the Home Defenders League is a group that we've we've started, and it's actually um, associated with other groups around the country. And these are people who are coming together to get organized to fight back against banks and save their homes from foreclosure, pushing for principal reduction. So it's Home Defenders League dot org, right? Correct. And uh, I suppose uh, this had to be done because uh, waiting for the federal government, which is actually a subdivision of most of the banks, is a hopeless task, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we feel like the federal government has not done what it should to, um, to help families um, save their homes from foreclosure. They haven't really delivered um, principal reduction, and so it's, you know, it's a huge problem. Um, and we'd, we would want to see, um, you know, last week the, the regulator of uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which is FHFA, mm-hmm. uh, which is run by Ed DeMarco, who has been opposed to principal reduction. And so we've been pushing on the Obama administration to, to fire Ed DeMarco. He came out, you know, he's sort of in the pocket of Wall Street, and he came out saying that, um, if if um, cities use them in the domain to seize loans, then Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac might not um, make loans in those cities. So he's, he's sort of lining himself up with the Wall Street bankers. And so we've been pushing for uh, him to be pushed out of that role at FHFA, and uh, actually we want them to install the person who... Obama has nominated, uh, whose name is Mel Watt. Now, is Mel Watt, he says, is he a famous congressman? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's somebody that you know we'd rather see in there than Ed Demarco. Well, I mean, uh, and largely because of this issue that that Demarco has been totally opposed to to doing any principal reduction, which we think is is really the the solution that's needed. Yeah, let me. Uh, you're listening to David Shapos, S H R P L E S, and he's uh, with Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment. Is there um, uh, an acronym, or what's the website that people go to for to find out more about that? Yeah, so ACE's website, so yeah, ACE, A-C-C-E, so it's www.cal, like California, organized, mm-hmm. .org is our website. CalOrganized.org, okay. Um, so what I've noticed by um, interviewing people, I mean, for a long time now, what's becoming clearer and clearer to me, and in a successful way, is, like, for instance, um, a week or two ago, I spoke to, uh, somebody in northeastern Pennsylvania, an anti-fracking group, but organized locally. And um, these are people who live in the community and mounted a legal campaign, a political campaign at a local level and actually forced a lot of the large oil companies in the northeast uh, to um, to actually, and gas companies, to, uh, to let their leases go and to get out. And I'm seeing this everywhere. The more I talk to people all the time, the more I'm seeing... But acting within any kind of large political party structure or at a national level seems to be fruitless. But acting at a local level seems to be the way to go. Do you think so? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, in some ways, yeah, definitely. I mean, we, you know, we feel like this is a local solution and, you know, it's something that the federal government and these big banks have failed to do. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, there's an opportunity at the local municipal level to to do something. So we're gonna we're not gonna sit by and just you know let so many people lose their houses. <clears throat> I mean, that's the thing. Is half of the of the mortgages in in Richmond are uh, underwater. So if we and we know that a large percentage of those are gonna go into into default, into foreclosure, and so. You know, if we just sit by and and don't do anything, then you know the, the foreclosure crisis is going to continue to to hurt our community. And so, you know, the federal government's not doing anything. So, you know, we kind of have to mm-hmm. have to act at the local level. All right. Uh, so, uh, why don't you give out one or two other of those websites again? And uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on. Um, let's let's hear those websites for people to go to. Yeah. So uh, the ACE website. So ACE is a California statewide organization. That's www.calorganized.org. And then the National Home Defenders League is uh, homedefendersleague.org. All right, thanks, thanks, David, for coming on. And uh, this is Thank for some, this is for yeah, you're welcome. This is for people all across the country. The way to do this, the way to way to change things, is clearly um, locally. Because if you're thinking of changing anything through a national Democratic or Republican party, you're wasting your time. Okay, thanks a lot, David. Thank you. Okay, uh, this is uh, you're listening to Occupied Territory America with Mike Fader, and uh, we're here every week at 2 p.m. Eastern on uh, PRN.FM. And check out PRN.FM's other programs. We'll have a lot of really, really good programs on, um, on this station and um, available everywhere. And these broadcasts are also obviously uh, archived and they're available as podcasts 
later on the same day usually or certainly the next day. Um, and once again, let me mention that, that if you hear anything you like about uh, on this show or anything you're interested in, you can always uh, go to my website to communicate with me. It's Photofiles, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com. Always a good idea to do that. Check out the website. Then also you can go to our Facebook page, and that's uh, Facebook and Occupied Territory. Just Google Facebook Occupied Territory. That'll take you there. We have uh, two other guests at... Um, 1130, um, talking about a new documentary uh, called Citizen Koch. Uh, Citizen Koch, which is about, um, I say Koch, I always do this, because I can't say Coke. <laughs> Citizen Coke is the name of the documentary. We had a mayor in New York City named Koch, maybe that's what I'm doing, spelled exactly the same way. So in New York, if you live in New York, K-O-C-H is Koch, but it's Coke. Citizen Coke, which is about David Coke. Some of you may have seen a documentary called 740 Park Avenue, which did uh, air, I think, on um, on our local NET, uh, PBS station. It's uh, WNET. And what's going on here locally, and this was about some of the richest people, these actually maybe through a handful of the richest people in the country who live in this one building, this incredibly ornate, fancy building on Park Avenue in New York. And really, it's not just about that, of course. Uh, it's about all these billionaires. Coke, David Koch lives there, and so does someone named Stephen Schwartzman, who's the head of a hedge fund. Either the, each one of these guys has an average of like $20 billion. And it's, in, it's also interviews with other people who live in the neighborhood, and then also... Um, Interviews and a documentary depiction of people who live, you know, maybe a mile or two away, who are living in utter, complete misery and poverty. While these guys have 32 rooms, uh, you know, triplexes with 32 rooms, and make their money off of money. They don't do anything at all for anybody that's any good. They poison the earth. They make money off of money, which is uh, probably as immoral as you possibly can get. Amoral, actually. And, um, what they do to offset this, what they do to, to balance this out, in their own minds, that is, you know, is they fund all kinds of public things. Like David Koch is constantly funding, um, he's giving, he gives money to Lincoln Center here. It's mostly stuff for the arts. Or he gives money to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And the other uh, son of a bitch who lives in that building named Stephen Schwartzman, uh, one of the great pigs of America, you should check him out sometime. He, uh, he's the one who has 32 rooms. He's got a family of like four people, and he's got 32 rooms, right? And this guy, it's the least of, uh, of his excesses, this guy also uh, funds cultural institutions in New York City. Like he just gave, um, I don't know, $20 million uh, a year or two ago to the New York City Public Library to refurbish their uh, beautiful old building there. So these guys, you know, the, it's the David Koch Opera House, the Stephen Schwartzman Library, that kind of thing. This happens all the time all over the place. Some of them actually will fund, um, you know, whole hospital wings or brand new hospital buildings or buy, uh, you know, $20 million of equipment for a hospital uh, in their cities. And as far as they're concerned, this uh, takes them off the hook for all their piratical, uh, predatory behavior in which they're putting essentially probably millions of Americans at risk for all kinds of diseases because of the, the industries that they own, that, uh, you know, think other things they do where they do national pushes to eliminate the minimum wage, where they ship jobs off overseas, hedge fund guys, this guy Stephen Schwartzman, he's a hedge fund guy, he, uh, you know, buys and sells companies like Mitt Romney did, 
and uh, usually breaks them up or puts people out of business. He makes money by manipulating currency, you name it. So what they do is they buy themselves off the hook. You know, they, they uh, and they attend all these ceremonies. The mayors of this, the mayor of the city comes out, the head of the Metropolitan Museum in New York City, the head of the public library, everybody comes out and they're all kissing his ass and, you know, they, they're cutting ribbons and everybody is celebrating it. They have bands. Everybody is entertained. They're bred in circuses. And then they go back to the office and destroy a large company with 4,000 employees in, in Milwaukee someplace. Or they uh, buy up the city debt of Detroit and try to make everybody even poor and throw them out of their houses. This is the behavior of these kinds of people. So this is the documentary. It's not the greatest documentary in terms of a film, but it makes its point. It's called 740 Park. Well, a newer one, one that is also made, is called Citizen Coke. And it's about this guy, David Coke, in detail. And one of the uh, one of the problems is that David Co and they wanted to show it on public TV across the country. Where do you see documentaries on television? You see them on public television, right? But I don't know what it's like in your local area where you have your public television station. Our local public television station is one of the two, you might say, flagships of the PBS system. And PBS, of course, it is watched by. Millions, probably tens of millions of people all across the country. Uh, a lot of them are upper middle class or even upper class people. In, in New York City, Channel 13 is the is it's WNET Channel 13, and they are probably the flagship station of PBS. David Koch was for a while on the board of PBS and um, was not happy about this documentary 740 Park floating around. Uh, because it portrayed him in the worst possible light. In other words, how he really is. And he got upset about that. But nevertheless, he stayed on the board because he likes to fund cultural institutions while he's uh, raping and killing the American uh, public and the economy. And he got upset. And now uh, he's, he's finally resigned from the board, the local board of WNET. And one of the problems here is, and we'll hear more about it from our two guests who are coming on in just a couple of minutes, is that uh, this new documentary is in detail about his life and the way he lives and what he does. And he didn't like it at all. And since he's always contributing lots of money to the local NET station here, the PBS station, uh, they didn't want to offend him, of course. So this film was blocked from being shown. And there's all sorts of bureaucratic uh, jive, you know, you know, hiding behind walls and uh, you know, playing peekaboo answers from the head of WNET. But in fact, they were just afraid of this guy, and they were afraid that he would take his money away and convince his other rich friends to take friends to take their money away. There are public stations, public radio and public TV stations, non-commercial, non-profit, charitable or TV and radio stations all over the country, um, and they a lot of them have. Uh, there was something changed. I suppose it happened during Reagan. Usually, most of this stuff did, where they could take under, what they call underwriting grants. In other words, commercials. So when you watch, uh, you know, PBS, you see all these commercials for giant oil companies, for, uh, you know, for, uh, for banks, whatever it is. And they're funding the latest episode of Downton Abbey or, uh, you know, you, they're not funding, by the way, you know, like BP is not funding the latest episode of, um, investigation into the uh, oil industry. <laughs> they fund cultural stuff, right? A lot of the money to keep these stations going, and a lot of these stations do some very good work, uh, and these are big stations, comes from these rich companies. They call it underwriting. It's a polite way to say commercial. 
and uh, it's uh, sickening is what it is. And my attitude about public radio, having been on a non-profit, non-commercial radio station for a good part of my radio career is, you raise money from the people. You don't go hat in hand to a lot of very, very rich people who have the interest of the people not at all in their hearts, in fact, just the opposite, and ask for their money because inevitably what you're going to get is a lot of programming for upper class and upper middle class people. It'll usually be for white people. It'll be for people who are self-satisfied. It won't be programming that reveals generally what's uh, what in, when in, in essence is what's wrong, what's rotten in the state of the whole country at large. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'd go so far as to say capitalism, but, you know, they haven't made a documentary like that yet. There's not going to be a a socialist or Marxist documentary, right? Who knows, maybe there will be. But anyhow, what people should do, and this is what I did when I was working at a non-commercial radio station, you raise money from people in small amounts, and, you know, all these PBS stations, and I suppose your local one does, they do that, they do it all the time. But it's never enough for their, for what they want to do. And sometimes these places, they pay a million dollars a year to uh, the uh, the president of the uh, network. I mean, there's a lot of this going on. In charities, in New York City, we have um, our, big, um, our big public radio station here is WNYC. They pay the head of our local public radio station close to a million dollars a year in salary. Because she knows a lot of rich people and brings in money and makes a profit at a non-profit place, right? So this happens all over the place with charities. It shouldn't be happening. You're the head of a charity. Why are you doing it? To get rich? No. You should have one-tenth of what you're getting paid. And you shouldn't have all these people on your board. You should do programming since you're getting a license from the federal government, the people in the United States, for the people of the United States. And I could talk a lot more about this, but we do have our uh, guests coming up. We're going to take a, can we take a short uh, little musical uh, break there? Do we have some music? Okay, we're going to take a break. Occupied Territory America, and we'll be back with our guests. is my photo again on Occupied Territory America. Something happened this past Tuesday in New York City, which was extremely encouraging, and I'm seeing this happening all over the country. For uh, years now, I've been doing you know radio shows, national radio shows, and finding things very depressing and despairing, the way the, you know, the politics and the culture and the economics are going. But lately, in the last several months, maybe this is partially the result of Occupy and also a lot of places like Move On, places that, that are on the web, uh, you know, web activity as far as, and also people out in the street, there is more and more um, encouraging news all the time, which is uh, is very good to see. And this past Tuesday in New York City, a couple of groups got together and had uh, handed a petition to our local 
station I was just ma- uh, mentioning, WNET, our PBS station, 350,000 petition signatures calling for the broadcast of a documentary called Citizen Coke on public television. And uh, our local um, uh, station here has not broadcast it yet. And we're going to get some background and some details about what's going on here, about what this documentary is. We are trying to get in touch with one of the directors of the film, but we're having a little trouble reaching her. But meanwhile, we have with us um, uh, somebody from the uh, the uh, Working Families Party. Uh, the National Communications Director, Joe Dinkin, is with us. Hi. For having me on the show. Sure. Um, so uh, the details are, in fact, that uh, you and a co- what other organizations uh, got together with you to present this petition? Well, uh, we had 350,000 petitions collected by working families, move on, um, credo action, and demand progress, and then uh, a group of about 40 or 50 of us braved the uh, pretty heavy rain mm-hmm. to deliver them to WNET. Uh, that was working families and some move on members and SEIU members, uh, members of United New York and the Writers Guild of America, uh, all sort of got together to um, meet up outside of the offices of WNET in Midtown and deliver the 350,000 signatures to Neil Shapiro uh, in support of a broadcast of Citizen Coke. Well, not Neil Shapiro, I suppose a security guard or somebody, but... Uh, actually, a vice president of programming came down to accept the petitions. So, really? Interesting. Yeah, not, not a nobody. Well, that's interesting. So they are taking it uh, somewhat seriously. Um, yeah, I think so. The film is called Citizen Coke, a film about money, power, and democracy. When was this film made? Uh, it was made over the last couple of years, and um, you know, hopefully, Tia will get on get on the line too and can yeah. tell you a little bit more about the you know production. But um, at, you know, Jane Mayer at the New Yorker initially reported on this story, did some really great reporting, and found that the documentary had been pulled essentially out of fear of upsetting David Koch, one of the two Koch brothers, the uh, you know Tea Party funding conservative billionaire industrialists mm-hmm. who don't believe in the minimum wage or climate change. Um, you know, David Koch had been uh, a major donor to WNET and several other uh, public television stations, and he was also serving on the board of WNET. Uh, and WNET had recently aired uh, another documentary um, called Park Avenue that was uh, critical of, uh, had, a, had a segment that was critical of, of David Koch. Is that uh, uh, 740 Park? Is that the same yeah, one? That's 740 Park. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, just aired a documentary that was 740 Park Avenue that was critical of uh, David Koch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, according to Jane Mayer's reporting, Neil Shapiro was pretty livid that he sort of didn't know in advance what kind of, uh, you know, that that was coming on the air and so who's that, the, what that, kind of Shapiro, that, Shapiro, I'm sorry, the head of NET. The head of WNET, that's right. And he claimed that he didn't know it was going to be on the air? Well, he knew it was going to be on the air. Oh. He felt like he didn't have uh, sufficient kind of heads up uh, about uh, its content uh, and about how uh, aggressive it was at, at David Koch. Uh, and he actually threatened to pull WNET out of the series independent lens, which would have been a kind of a, a crippling blow to the uh, to indep- the independent lens series and to ITVS, the group out of San Francisco that produces it. Mm-hmm. So uh, around that time, um, when Citizen Coke was working its way through the production process, um, ITVS uh, essentially shelved it out of fear that if they put it on the schedule for independent lens, Neil Shapiro at WNET, the you know the largest station in America, the flagship station, would have 
pulled out of the series altogether and really dealt uh, in Jane Merrifield it's a crippling blow to, to the series so uh, it never aired and, it, and, and the reason it never aired was out of fear of uh, retribution from, from David Koch and you know we think that uh, we think that's not right uh, and we think that public television ought to be more responsive to the public than to uh, you know conservative billionaires who are who are donors and you know public television is uh, it's an important public good it's critical for democracy mm-hmm. um, but it's not fulfilling its mission when it you know bends to the will of, of huge donors uh, you know in, in the way that you might expect you know a corporate owned uh, news network not not our public television. No, a, no, I mean, places like PBS, I was just talking about this before you uh, came on, places like PBS and other large stations like that um, get at least 50% of their money from uh, commercials, which they call underwriting, right? They already do this. And that's enough already, I think, right? I mean, these are public stations. And I was wondering, do you know if these places get any money from the public? Do they get tax money? Uh, that's, yeah, they do. Um, they, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting mm-hmm. gets a federal appropriation every year that then gets divided up based on a pretty complicated formula to different stations. So the amount of money that public television stations have been have been getting uh, has been has been declining. You may remember uh, during the last presidential campaign, you know, Mitt Romney uh, threatened to uh, do away with Big Bird altogether. Uh, threatened to fire Big Bird. <laughs> that's, that's, be- uh, that's because all these... Right, of course. Uh, yeah, and, so, uh, there's been a lot of downward... You know, the, the, there's been downward pressure on um, the level of funding that public uh, television and public radio have been getting. And, uh, you know, we think, we think that's a bad thing. We think they provide a vital public service and vital educational service. Which is why exactly they're uh, being considered for no funding by the people in Congress that don't want these public services to make people aware of the way things are going in the country. That's right, that's right. I mean, this is, you know, even Big Bird, who actually is, you know, an asexual, very mild fellow with no politics. Well, right. I shouldn't say fellow, he's a creature. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but whatever he is, whatever <laughs> she is, uh, nothing there. But, I mean, they can't stand the whole thing. They think it's all... First of all, you've got this, this spectrum of people, a little deviation here from the uh, conversation. You've got a spectrum of people who are just plain ignorant, like the Garmerts, you know, and the, uh, the Ted Cruz's, who think that it's a socialist organization, and they don't even really understand. I mean, homosexuals appear on their birds without sexuality. They, you know, races mix, all kinds of horrible things happen. And then, basically, you've got the other people who are the corporate puppets in Congress, who really don't want PBS, and they've been warring with PBS for a long time because they represent things like about the oil spills and everything else, right? Right, that's right. So in this case, um, this independent service, which I never heard, it's called Independent Lens, is it? Independent Lens is the name of the uh, of a series that airs on basically every public television station at, at the same time. And one of the reasons it's so valuable uh, is there, you know, there aren't a lot of mechanisms to have a kind of national broadcast on public television because all of these, you know, hundreds of public television stations, local stations, operate independently. Um, but there's a couple of series like Independent Lens, like POV, where right. you can have a single show broadcast nationally and kind of promote it nationally. Um, but that's why it would be you know, that's why the idea of um, WNET pulling out of, of independent lens would be so damaging to ITVS. 
The uh, the shows that that are broadcast by uh, these places. I mean, there's been a lot of really good documentaries on there. But uh, I mean, I saw this. I've, I've seen this over the last twenty, thirty years, even on NP uh, on NPR on uh, National Public Radio. They had all kinds of shows. They had Marketplace and all these other shows. Little by little by little, you used to see some really in-depth investigations of corporations in places like this, right? You don't ever see that anymore. So in other words, the corporations and people like Coke have really sort of uh, gotten sway over a lot of these places. Um, when somebody like Neil Shapiro, uh, do you have any idea how he's going to respond to these petitions that were presented? Uh, you know, I, I don't know, but I would love to hear his response. Mm, that's 350,000 people. Do, does it, uh, do you think a lot of them are um, PBS watchers? You know, uh, uh, the petition allowed a place for people to provide their own comments, oh. um, and lots of people wrote in to say, you know, I watch, I watch PBS, I watch my local PBS station, and I think this is uh, outrageous. Yeah. So I think it's a lot of, you know, I think our our, uh, our membership is definitely lots of people who are public television watchers and who agree with us that it's kind of an important, uh, important public service. I would love to see the whole thing turn around. I was talking earlier also about the fact that charities, public television station, large radio stations like in New York City, um, you know, and our local NPR station, WNYC, um, the top three or four uh, executives at those place make out like $2 million. You know what I mean? People are on there who make $200,000, $300,000, hosts, right, presenters, whatever you want to call them. Things really need to turn around. If these are people's places, they get people's tax money, they should really be for the people, right? Uh, well, you know, I, th I think... That's not a question, is it? It was a statement, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but I think the reason that, um, you know, that we're involved in this issue is um, because, you know, we're increasingly seeing um, the destructive and corrosive influence of of big money, particularly in politics and in our electoral system. Uh, you know, David Koch is the richest man in New York. He, uh, he and his brother have spent literally hundreds of millions of dollars um, over the past decades in supporting, um, you know, conservative political causes and, and right-wing politicians. You know, Scott Walker famously among them, but lots of other ones, too. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know we think his voice in in public life is is plenty loud. It's uh you know his his big spending um, makes it harder for everybody else's voices to be heard at all. And uh, now his uh, you know their increasing interest in uh, you know shaping our media um, threatens threatens to give them an, an even bigger role. And you know democracy is supposed to mean you know one person one vote. Uh, and, and the idea that a couple of super wealthy individuals are having this increasingly outsized role on the outcomes in our in our democracy and in our society is, I think, really dangerous. Maybe you could uh, write that down in a memo and send it to the Supreme Court because I think they missed that. Yeah, yeah, I, think they, I think they got that one wrong. Yeah, they got that one wrong. And, and the Koch brothers also, uh, they are um, supporting all kinds of initiatives people should know which are so anti-people in general that they're extraordinary. I mean, like you say, for instance, about climate change, I would disagree with you that they don't believe in climate change. I think they believe in climate change, but not, not, for, the, not for the better, if you know what I mean. I think they have a deep belief in climate change since they're some of the authors of climate change. But right. these two people, uh, apropos of what you were just saying, the Koch brothers now are looking to buy, you know, uh, our uh, Jeff Bezos with the Washington Post. The, the Koch brothers want to buy chains of large newspapers across the country. Yeah, the, the Tribune, uh, yeah. the Tribune papers. Um, yeah. 
uh, you know, it uh, takes you back to a kind of uh, yellow journalism um, that I think, uh, uh, you know, would, would not do our city as well. Um, but, yeah, we've been part of a, a coalition of organizations that has been uh, protesting that possible sale to the Koch brothers in, you know, outside the Hartford Current, outside the Baltimore Sun, outside the Chicago Tribune, outside the L.A. Times, etc. Famous, important, very valuable newspapers. To the extent that people read newspapers anymore, you know, I mean, everything's switched in and that. But um, we're talking to Joe Binkin, and he's the National Communications Director. At, is it Working Families Party? Yeah, the Working okay. Families Party, that's right. And um, the website is? Uh, workingfamilies.org. Okay, and what other, what other actions are you involved in these days? Oh, you know, lots of stuff. Um, you know, speaking about the influence of money in, in politics, one of our um, top priority campaigns right now has been pushing for uh, public, fun- public funding of elections at the state level in New York State. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had a, a pretty big break- breakthrough in Oregon with the passage of uh, a, a bill known as Pay It Forward that takes the first step toward a pretty revolutionary um, new way to cut Wall Street out of um, higher education financing, get rid of loans altogether, um, and allow students to go to college without loans, um, tuition-free up front, and then pay back uh, after graduation into a fund a fixed percent of their uh, annual income to allow other students the same opportunity. Um, we recently um, led the campaign that has passed paid sick days legislation in New York City and in Connecticut and helped support the effort in Portland, Oregon. Um, now, our, our mayor here, who is also one of the richest men in the entire world, doesn't think that's such a good idea to have. No, he doesn't. Because, luckily, yeah. luckily, our campaign was strong enough that we had a super majority on the city council that could override him. Mm-hmm. And that's even maybe probably in spite of uh, our local city council uh, <laughs> chair who is running for mayor right now. But uh, who knows where she stands on things. But uh, So, well, very good. And what are, give me uh, anything else that, that you're working on. It's a lot of stuff, right? I mean, what yeah, we've, we've got a, a lot going on uh, uh-huh. in, in a bunch of places. So it's a pretty exciting time at Working Families. People should definitely go to workingfamilies.org and sign up and get involved. Uh, yeah, I encourage everybody to go there. This is an extremely important activist organization which really gets results and is spread all over the country. This is a place, if you want to look for an effective place to put your money uh, and to, to get involved in, this is a, one of the few essential places, I'd say, is Working Families. When it says Working Families Party, does that imply that you're a political party? Yeah, in a couple of states, we're, we're a party on the ballot um, that, you know, generally uh, cross-endorses progressive Democrats um, and helps elect progressive candidates and helps defeat and, you know, defeat both the Republicans and, you know, conservative corporate Democrats as well. Mm-hmm. So basically still you're sticking with, you're not, you're not headed straight to a third party. You're not, you're not endorsing, you're endorsing the best Democrats you can find, but you're not stepping outside that? Uh, you know, sometimes we, sometimes we do, and sometimes we've managed to elect our own members to office. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Councilwoman Letitia James here in New York City, um, representing actually the neighborhood I live in, in um, Fort Greene and Clinton Hill and Prospect Heights, and Crown Heights in in, uh, in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. um, was uh, you know elected solely on the Working Families Party line back in 2003. She's now um, a Democratic and Working Families candidate for Public Advocate of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've elected a couple of members to city councils in, in Hartford and in Bridgeport. 
um, and in Albany, and you know, uh, particularly in places where um, the, the Republicans are so weak that there isn't much of a risk of the, the kind of spoiler effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is sort of uh, how I think of it, and they're kind of bases of progressive power that are uh, willing to kind of step outside and, and elect working families, party-only members to, to local office. But, you know, in, in higher-profile races, in bigger offices, uh, you know, we don't like to ask people to um, vote for candidates who, who can't win. We actually want our, our people to make a difference. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, the, you know, the main way we're involved in elections is by, you know, participating in, by backing progressives in Democratic primaries and then helping good, you know, progressives beat bad Republicans in general elections as well. Okay, uh, workingfamilies.org, and uh, everybody should check this out. This is one of the places uh, I constantly get updates from them, and I uh, urge you all to uh, to check that out. And uh, the movie is Citizen Coke, and uh, it's about David Coke in New York, and we all want it to appear on PBS because we want the whole country to be able to see exactly what you're dealing with here. Otherwise, you would never know it because they'll just keep buying stations and sitting on boards and buying up newspapers and telling you who they are. But, you know, that's them telling you. All right, thanks a lot for coming on, Joe. Thanks, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't also uh, give the website for Citizen Coke. You can get updates from the filmmakers oh, yes, I'm sorry, at, sure. at citizencoke.com. Citizencoke.com. Oh, that's Coke, K-O-C-H, <laughs> not, K- not C-O-K-E. Not C-O-K-E. Not at all. No, we right. I keep telling people we had a mayor in New York City for the longest time named uh, Koch, Edward Koch. Ed Koch, right. So in New York, you, t- you tend to mispronounce that. So. That's right. Okay, so, yeah, it's uh, Citizen Coke uh, is the name of the movie, and they have a website. Check that out, too. And, you know, you'll be able to see it, but you would like to see it on your public station, wouldn't you? You pay taxes. All right, thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks so much for having me on. Okay. Um, this is Mike Fader on uh, Occupied Territory America. And uh, this is one of the state, one of the uh, shows that's presented here on PLN.FM, uh, who will present programs for the people of this country. This is not a place where we have um, uh, where we have rich corporate sponsors or underwriting. So uh, if in fact you are so moved, and there are other programs besides this one that you like, I know a lot of a lot of regular listeners. If you like my other show that I do on here, uh, which I make sort of free-form commentaries about culture, psychology, life in general, sometimes politics, too, and history. Uh, it's called The Turning Point, and it's on at 4 p.m., so if you've never heard that, I urge you to do it. 4 p.m. on Mondays, The Turning Point. And there are, of course, archive broadcasts about, uh, that are on, on PRN.FM. Uh, if you like other programs on here, too, uh, this is a place where you might want to help donate. And if you, uh, a way to do that is if you go to prn.fm, to its main homepage, I believe, uh, I hope this is correct, that there is a place on there where you can click and where you can donate to the station if you have some extra money, because you're not going to hear this stuff hardly anywhere else. Uh, recently, some of you may be aware of the fact that our local Pacifica station in New York um, is on the verge of bankruptcy and could disappear. And this is a long story about why they're on the verge of bankruptcy, but um, they are. And um, I would not counsel necessarily sending your money directly to them until you see if they've improved their programming. That's my attitude about it. They're, uh, the next time they have a fundraising drive or any Pacific, Pacific station across the country, there's, there's two out in California. There's one in Houston and another one in Washington. They're all teetering. They're all just sort of getting by or on the edge. One or two of them are, do, are solid enough, but they have dipped so uh, deeply in the ratings for the last 20 years because most of the programming is crummy. 
It's done by people who shouldn't even be on the radio. It's done by people who don't understand what they're talking about. It's done by people who um, are so politically correct they don't even know what their own name is anymore. So they've they sort of lost touch with the essence and the reality of the American public and even in their local areas. That's why people don't listen to them so much anymore. But they can always be turned around. Uh, one thing you can do, though, is uh, send money to this station right now. I'm on this station right now. Um, and help us keep going because we've picked up a lot of the slack and even in some cases gone beyond what Pacifica uh, has done and is doing. So that's uh, PRN.FM. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, I don't know if there's really enough time for this right now, but um, the um, people talk about in this country, you know, uh, about politicians, and I know, you know, you know, I've gone on a lot about here. You just heard Joe Dinkin from the Working Families Party talk about how he doesn't want people who are members of the Working Family Party or who donate to his website or are interested in politics uh, from his point of view or from the Working Family's point of view, I should say. He doesn't want uh, people to support losing candidates. In other words, he's saying don't vote probably for a third party. Try to put your uh, money and your energy and your votes uh, with progressive Democrats. Now, we all know that uh, out of thousands and thousands of Democrats running all across the country for various offices, there's probably 12 of them that you could say are progressive Democrats. Well, however many there are, Working Families Party is the place where you might want to go because they will put money and effort and get petitions together, and they're very organized and very effective. But um, my attitude is still, I have to maintain, it is still that we are never going to have uh, anything but a capitalist, um, upper-class, 1% economy uh, in this country, which is going to declare wars all over the place, spy on you, take your money, and take no money from corporations or rich people uh, if we keep voting for these two parties. I suppose, yes, there's an argument to be made that if you, if you support the most progressive candidates in the Democratic Party, which is what Working Families is doing, and I know a lot of you are doing it locally, then that's an important thing to do, and that's the way to go. I think that's true. But also, I would suggest that if you have a place like the Green Party or the Justice Party or other places, especially locally, uh, you might want to threaten, put it this way, you might want to threaten the local progressive Democrats that they are going to lose out. They're going to lose their offices, not get reelected, or not get elected at all if they don't move over to where the people are. It's not good enough to be a member of the Democratic Party anymore and just say, okay, vote for me, I'm not a Republican. That doesn't work anymore. People see through that crap. So, you know, Working Families Party, I think, is a pretty good place to go. So if you're, if you're of a mind not to vote for a third party, you don't feel like doing that, I think it has an effect and I think it's an important thing to do. I do that. But if you want to vote for progressive Democrats, and there really are some, I mean, I know some of, you know, there's one or two senators, there's uh, maybe... 20 or 30 Congress people who you can vote for, who I would say are progressive people who are worth voting for. I mean, for instance, we're all looking at uh, the specter, and I mean that in terms of, uh, you know, sort of like a horrible ghost appearing of the past, of the corporate past. <laughs> I am the ghost of corporate past, you know, repent. But, uh, you know, we're looking at the specter of Hillary Clinton running, and she would get a lot of votes from people, right, because she's a woman, because whatever. It's the same old thing. She is a corporate stooge, the same as Obama. She's probably just a more effective one. Anyhow, that's Occupied Territory America for today, and we'll be back next Thursday at 2 p.m. Check out my other show, The Turning Point, at 4 p.m. on Mondays, and I uh, will see you then. Because I went walking 
I was through.